Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, district superintendent and your host for today's podcast. And yes, it has been a long time, a long time since we've done an episode. We were going strong until January and then EFCA West podcast took a little hiatus and it wasn't really planned, but the basic reason is, you know, things started opening back up. We were hitting the road more, visiting everyone, doing all kinds of things in person. Life got crazy. And now after like seven months of just completely uninterrupted, wild activity, we are so backlogged with so many things that have happened that that we need to talk about that we want to update you on and issues we need to discuss and stuff that's happening. So we've got a ton of episodes planned. We're also continuing with our first Wednesday workshops, the first Wednesday of every month, except for December. We are on Zoom together for one hour talking about all things relevant to pastoral leadership, church issues, cultural issues affecting the church. And so make sure you always mark your calendars busy between the hours of 11 and noon Pacific, noon and one mountain on the first Wednesday of every month without exception, except for December. But today I'm with our director of all people ministries, Alex Rivero, and we have to get something out to you because we had an experience a few weeks ago that was truly life changing and it was eye opening and you got to hear about it. We took 10 people, mostly EFCA West pastors and leaders, a few people from our Immigrant Hope Ministry, which we'll talk about as well. And we went to El Paso, Texas and joined with a missionary group down there called Abara, a border ministry, and a trip that they had put together called Border Encounters. And you may have remembered we advertised this and invited everyone to go. And we did have some takers. And we're here to talk about it because there are things you need to know. There's what's going on. There's what the media talks about. There's the sound bites. There's the bumper sticker ideas of what's happening at the border, divided on political lines, divided on a lot of times even ethnic lines. But we were there and we actually took a deep dive into the issues. So Alex, this trip, um, this trip was kind of your, I'm going to blame you for this. This was your brainchild. This was your idea. Why was this trip so important to you? And why was it so important for us as EFCA West to, to be a part of this? Well, Tim, the, uh, uh, yeah, you can blame it on me, uh, I guess. Uh, but, uh, you know, part of my passion as, a, as an immigrant myself is to help uh, people that are going through, I mean, I, I got it real nice. I came in, a, in an airplane, you know, to Miami and Miami to California. And I did not have, you know, I had to go through customs and have my passport and my visa and uh and that's another story. That's like the Disneyland version of coming to America. Uh, but, you know, being a, a foreign, uh, the Bible actually talks a lot about foreign and how we can treat them. So part of part of me on this trip was to kind of bring awareness, uh, bring uh, bringing you as, a, as our superintendent and, uh, and people who are... Uh, willing to listen to or actually first to watch what is actually happening in the border. You know, Tim, you cannot see that in the news. You cannot mm-hmm. see that in the newspaper or 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 on the social media. Uh, you you actually 
and, and you come and you're trying to explain. And basically, it's that you have to see it by yourself. Crossing the border and being being in, in, in Juarez, being in Mexicans, the Mexican side of the border. Uh, and so that's, that was my purpose, just bringing people. And hopefully this is a, this was the first one. Hopefully it's not the last one that we are or I'm planning to do. But I do believe that people need to see it. You know, there is a saying that you 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 don't you don't have a, a really strong missions ministry in your church unless your senior pastor or the people from influence on your church actually go on missions, and then they can see it and they come back saying, "Okay, we need to do something about it." So yeah. that was the purpose. Yeah, and there were so many things, and I, and I want to say too, it's it's it goes without saying in some degrees, but this is obviously a very, it's a political hot potato. It is very controversial. The interesting thing is, and I want everyone who's listening to this this podcast to know that this is not, this hour is not going to be about politics. Uh, in fact, you and I, um, and a lot of people would assume, oh, you know, you went to the border and, and the whole immigration issue. And there's this automatic tendency that, you know, maybe we're going to say a bunch of things that are going to be politically one way or the other. And uh, that's not our, our hope at all. In fact, one of the biggest takeaway that I had was how complex and nuanced this is. You cannot look at this issue down straight party lines. You can't. No, you will be biased and, uh, and you won't be able to see it. And uh, again, is yeah, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. We, we, you know, because you know, we have been for the last two years so polarized. Actually, immigration is a is a complex, like just like you said, it's a complex, long, complicated issue. And I, and if, but we as as believers, um, and I, and I know we use the Bible and we should use the Bible as, as our guide and, and how we can help the foreign and love them and, and find ways to minister to them and their families. And uh, anyway, so, those, yeah, we, we're not talking uh, uh, politics here. And, yeah. uh, we're not talking, we're not taking a place. We're taking the biblical view. Right. So if you can, as you're listening to this, just step back and relax. Um, neither one of us have a political ax to grind. Uh, both of us would probably lean more to the right on political issues anyway. And so um, as you hear us talking, if you hear us saying things that, oh, these guys are pushing this or that, it's like, no, we're, we're really not. Um, now, let me let me talk to you. So I, I would just love to hear what were the big, because you and I were both there. We both saw it together. We both experienced it. What were some of the large takeaways that you had? I mean, you coming back from this, like what, what, what hit you? What surprised you? Especially as an immigrant, someone who works in our director of all people, you work with a lot of people, you know, and you're on the board of Immigrant Hope as well yes. in Santa Barbara. So this is nothing new to you, but what what being actually being at the border, at the wall, seeing the wall, going on the other side into Juarez, talking with the people there, what what jumped out at you? What surprised you? What takeaways did you come away with? I would say I have three takeaways. Um, I, I would say, Tim, the first thing that happened to me when we get to the border, I have been at the border many times in Tijuana, uh, in Mexicali. I, I, I have crossed the border walking uh, on the, you know, on the border checkpoints many times. 
And every time I see that wall, um, you know, and 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 again, there's there there are borders and walls in the in the Old Testament. So <laughs> this is not just a new one. There's many walls in in in, in world history. You know, the Berlin Wall. You know, the China Wall. <laughs> there's a reason why we have a wall. And uh, and and that is all good, but it is um, for me it's a it's a cry internal, you know, in my in my heart, because I I like I mentioned I, I mean the first takeaway team was for us crossing the border, okay, like again is you can see like ah oh, this is complicated we had to wait on the car for how, you know, how long do we wait like an hour and a half to cross the border back. Uh, and, and seeing all the people trying to, you know, walking and, and the checkpoint and everything. I mean, that is all part of the deal of going across the border. But I, I as I share with you and many uh, in, the, in the group, I grew up in a place like that. So that's what hurts my heart. I mean, it hurts. I grew up in a place when we went to the shelter, you know, on the third day uh, in, in Mexico and uh, going through those streets and, and you know the smells and the the noise, and the, they're familiar to me. I grew up in a place like that. The difference for me was uh, I was not it was not a border town. It was just another city in a third world country uh, of Venezuela. Uh, but being poor and having the same noises and the you know the smells. I mean those are good memories that comes to me. They they are. But it's, uh, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway that I will take many people as much as, as I can, um, as much as they're willing to cross the border, it will be that shelter uh, team that we went to. Uh, when we have seen all those families and I had the chance to talk to them, all those kids, you know, those faces are happy faces. They're just, you know, they're just happy being there. And, uh, and, and it's a transitional place. And it's a place of a lot of pain. So talking to the human side, looking at their faces and listening to their stories, that was my first take and coming back. And I had the, you know, as, as, a, as a US citizen that I am now, I mean, I part of me saying, okay, this is all terrible. And it's such a, oh, wow, good memories and bad memories of, of my childhood. But I have a place to go <laughs> crossing yeah. the border, you know, back to the US. I can, I can do that, but they don't. Uh, so there's something that is uh, attached to my heart up to today. Yeah. And just to jump in on that, because I think you, you to fill in some gaps here, what we did was that the whole purpose of this was to get exposure to what is happening at the border. And it really starts with the city of El Paso itself. And really, they're sister cities. You have El Paso and you have Juarez. And it, it's like one city divided by a wall. And you, you made a good point. The wall is everything. The wall yes. is, the border is everything in that town. It it defines both of those cities. And it, I, I personally, I actually loved it. Um, I loved being in El Paso. I enjoyed the city. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of my personality. I kind of, I, I just see, I love, I mean, everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, I could live here, you know, and it drives my wife nuts. But but I think that um, we have to remember that El Paso is in our district. We do have a, a few churches mm-hmm. there. But the first thing that I noticed, and you and I talked about this, was the amount of opportunity that there is to do, yes. my gosh, to do like uh, church planting and and other types of outreach ministry there. It, it, it is such a it's such an amazing town in so many ways. I I, I just I loved it. Like I said. 
But what looms in it, what defines it, what defines it is the border. And there are people crossing every single day. You mentioned the shelter and and how that hit you. And just so people understand what we're talking about here, the shelter is not, these aren't the kids in cages. These aren't the detention centers. Those are on the the United States side. These are shelters in Mexico that are for people who have been denied asylum into the United States. So they have taken the thousand mile journey or whatever it is from those, the Central American countries, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Guatemala. Guatemala. And they have come up through Mexico. And when they get to the border, they make their case to the border patrol of why they, why they deserve asylum in the United States. And they are turned away. And at that point, they have nowhere to go. So there are shelters in Juarez that are set up to house these people who who literally have no, they don't have a home anymore. They don't have a, they don't have an identity anymore. It's almost like that movie with Tom Hanks where he gets caught in the terminal, you know, and he leaves his country, right? And he can't get in, but he can't go back. And that's where they are. So like Hanks like lives in the airport for however many years, it's kind of a, <laughs> It's kind of an interesting movie, but that's where they are. And they have no, they cannot go back. And there are reasons why they can't go back. And we, we could talk about some of that, but that's the situation. So what we did was we took, we went down through into war as we, we went to a supermarket, we bought a whole bunch of eggs and chicken and, you know, and a bunch of other supplies and that sort of thing. And we kind of restocked them for, uh, you know, a couple of days or whatever, because there were like probably 30 families or whatever living in that with kids. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the situation there. But um, maybe if you could tell us, do you remember that story? Cause one of one of the, one of our uh, guys that was with us was Alberto and he's a a lead pastor of our church in desert hot springs. And he was telling the story about the one family he was talking to uh, and their situation. Do you remember that? About how they had been. um, And I I think you were there for that one about the, about how they're, they had been driven out by the, the narcos. Yes. Yeah, well, that's, that is the common denominator of all of them. You see, you you have a good illustration about the movie, uh, Terminal. That was the name of the movie mm-hmm. with Tom Hanks. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, it's very similar. Uh, you know, Tom Hanks gets stuck in the airport because there is no country for him to come back. And that is the truth. I mean, you can have a physical country back, back, in, back home, but the, you know the what, what Alberto was talking about is a common denominator where the family have a ranch, have a property back in their native country, and and uh, and that land is being taken by the you know the 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 the, the cartel, basically the drug cartel, or the gangs, which is all, they're all controlled by the same. Uh, drug cartel uh, change different nationalities, country countries, but it's the same from South America coming up through all the way to the border. Uh, so basically, they just come and take over the land, and they trap you. If you don't leave, you they, basically they kill you. So basically, and and the people cannot, unfortunately, cannot ask the authorities because there's fear that the authorities are. Part of the you know part of the cartel or they're being uh, partners with the cartel uh, and corrupted so what happened to those people well the, their only their only desire or, or or dream is or chance in life is going north 
Going north means getting to the United States. Uh, I don't know if you remember the, you know, the caravans. There was one or two or three coming. Uh, actually, they are ending in Mexico City, all coming into the water, and uh, and that is part of that the desperate movement where you have people coming to the border and now they cannot come to America or they're stuck on their process and, uh, but they cannot go back home because there is no home to go. Uh, so, and that is, and that is El Paso Juarez situation. A very, very unique. Well, it is. And what's important to note too, is that, and this is what this border ministry was talking to us about, and this is where it gets kind of complex. First of all, in years past, it was more common for the average illegal, you know, person crossing the border illegally to be a young single guy, a young single man. And that kind of became, you know, a lot of this, the stigma or the stereotype of an illegal immigrant, you know, this guy. And I, and I, you know, growing up in Southern California and some places that I worked, I mean, I knew these guys because I worked with some of them and, and knew their situation and they would go back across the border, you know, and do some kind of crazy weekend, you know, 36 hour round trip drive to go deliver money to their families. And then they come back and their, you know, immigration status was, was sketchy at best. But now a lot of the people, and you mentioned these caravans are women and children. And incidentally, yes. a lot of them are Christians. And, and this is a very, this is where it gets, this is where it's, and, and again, you have to go there and talk to the people that are doing this and listen to the stories because the story we t- what Alex told about the farm was a story that Alberto heard from one of the guys in the shelter. And a lot of these people are Christians. Now, why would Christians be trying to get into our country illegally or however they can get into it? Well, the reason is because as Alex mentioned, if you have a farm in this in this one instance, this was a third generation. So this guy that was in the shelter, his father had a farm who had it from his grandfather. So now he's a third generation guy who's had this farm passed down to him. The, the narcos, whoever they are, the cartel, the gangs, whoever, they come in, they go, hey, this is ours now. You need to join us or we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And these guys as believers go, we don't want to, I don't want my son. I don't want my son becoming a, a um, member of the cartel. I don't want him shooting people. I don't want him getting involved in this activity. So they have no choice but to either join up with what they see as an evil force in the world or leave. Well, where are they going to go? And there is not any place for them to go. And so, and incidentally, a lot of people do have at least one family member, you know, kind of like the six degrees of separation from everybody. They have somebody, they have some familial connection in the United States. And so they they go, well, this is my best shot. And so they make the travel to the border. They make their case to the people at the border. And if it's, if there's no credibility, if there's no paperwork, if there's no real threat of imminent danger or violence, they're turned away. And we literally saw the border patrol agents walking large numbers of people back across the bridge, very, you know, humanely, not in a violent or angry way, just a very, you know, you can't, you're going back across. So they walked them back over the bridge. We saw this. And they turn them over to the Mexican authorities. And I think the, the local officials there, I think they do have a, a way that they try to get them plugged in, you know, um, into these shelters and that sort of thing. But it, it is a it is a crisis and it is a mess. Well, and that is my second uh, takeaway on this trip, Tim. It was the, the conversation with the officers of mm-hmm. the Border Patrol. Yeah. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, that, that was a really good uh, encounter and how they can explain 
the situation on the border. Like, like I didn't know that there was no water right there when we were staying. We were staying in that park, remember? And and they said that that border was not built until recently. Well, and t- tell everybody yeah. what, so that was part of our experience, right? Was That was part of the deal. So t- tell everyone what, what that was with the border patrol. Yeah, yeah well, one, one of the appointments that we have with Abara is that to go and, and, and have an interview or a time with officers from the, from the border patrol. And, uh, and they were very nice. They came and we actually met in a, in a park right across, across the border, basically looking at, at Juarez from, from, a, from a community park that we were sitting and listening to them. And the, and the fence was there uh, less than 50 feet from us. That's right. You know? And uh, so what, what, uh, what I didn't know, at least myself, Alex Rivero, that had been in the border for so many times, that there are different type of borders, and uh, and how they in Juarez, you know, they had the end of the of the Rio Grande, which is the the the, the natural divider, and then the big you know the big fence comes up from right there from from Juarez, being from from El Paso, all the way to basically uh, Tijuana at the Pacific. Uh, amazing, but what what I I take from what I took from them is the 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 sad reality of the you know of the power that the cartel the drug cartel has over who passes and who doesn't pass the border from from the the south part of the from from the Mexican side and uh, and that that is that was a take because it was basically a confirmation of things that we knew already. Uh, because as you know, I work with, you know, I have a congregation that is made, you know, 90% of immigrants that actually cross the border to the United States. And they, and they have that encounter. Everyone has a different experience, how controlling and how powerful the, you know, the, the, the people, the smugglers and the system down there, uh, who is a corrupted government. Uh, but, but again, the border patrol is doing the best that they can do. And I, my, my other take on, on their on their interview with them was that they're humans, and we actually need to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do believe that there is a. I, I cannot imagine that they, as as humans, that they had to enforce the borders to protect the United States of America, not from the people who are in the shelter. <laughs> Those are the least of their worries. Is from the evil forces that are they're trying, you know, unfortunately, behind all these organizations that are have another interest. Um, but but again, they have they had to enforce the law, and uh, and they have, you know, mostly you know the the two the two officers that were there, they have Hispanic last names, so they do have in somehow family in Mexico, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's something that I wanted to I wanted to keep in mind um, in the back of my mind as I walk through with them and on the on the other activities that we did that there's this is our people who are humans and eventually I believe that we definitely had to pray for them because we they had to deal with this every day mm-hmm. you know out of their or their day jobs yeah. And anyway. some, yeah, right. And so much of, of what, how the border patrol described their, um, mission is humanitarian. You know, they're not, I mean, it's law enforcement, but it's not 
they're not cops trying to catch illegal immigrants. They're they're people that are trying to secure the border. And you know, you mentioned the cartels, and it, it, you know, it, it was it was a it was a real deal. I mean, we were there 30 feet from the wall and, and they told us, they said, uh, just so you know, they have lookouts and, um, we are like a hundred percent sure that you all and we all are being watched right now. Hmm. And the other thing, and you kind of touched on this and maybe you could expand on this a little bit is why, why, why a person uh, um, someone south of the border really cannot cross the border without going through the cartel, without getting smuggled. If you try to do it on your own, what happens? Well, the, uh, remember that the people who are, uh, this is a reality and the border all across the United States. E- every family that lives in El Paso and Juarez that actually live there, they actually have uh, you know, the the border pass, they can actually cross legally. They actually do that every day. Do you know that there's actually children who actually live in Juarez, their families, their residences in Juarez, but they come to school in El Paso mm-hmm. every day. And we saw them walking the, the bridge mm-hmm. as we were waiting to, to come in. Uh, actually, the, the pastors, we, we do have two pastors, uh, Hispanic pastors, from our district that have two churches in El Paso, and they both, all their life, uh, when, you know, uh, one of them have a, a, a business in Juarez. Uh, actually, his, his secular job was in Juarez. So he walked, he have a, a house in El Paso, and he w- went to work every day <laughs> to, to Juarez. Okay, so so the people who are in the cities ne- nearby the border, they they have this, you know, they 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 can cross legally. So what happened with the people who are coming from south of Mexico? Uh, I mean, and that was my third point uh, on my takeaway, Tim. That that conversation about the Central American realities. Remember mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Uh, where where we talked about, you know, the question that I always get here from people, from church, from leaders. Why are they coming to America? Why don't they just stay there? You know, well, when they when they had these difficulties and life-trending situation, it's like refugees status. And they come to the border. They don't know anyone. Most of the people that will come uh, from Guatemala or from El Salvador or they're already paying, you know, they're already paying to come across the border. They already have a code-to-code contract. And that contract is, if you pay us $3,000, $6,000, depending how many people are, are bringing, uh, they will just walk with you. They will bring you all the way uh, by land from whatever country you are. And that is a contract with the cartel. So if that person doesn't doesn't actually pay for the money, or they already pay on front, but some people cannot pay, uh, they they became part of the the human trafficking that we have, and that is all controlled by by the cartel in the south of the border. And believe it or not, we have cartel in the in the northern section of the border. Uh, I mean, in the United States, 
that they will control you. So if you actually cross the border, they cross you and you don't fulfill your, your payments or you, you don't fulfill the promise that you make, the contract code to code, they're going to they're gonna go after your family mm-hmm. in, in your native town. They know where you, you are coming from because there is a contract. No, nobody just show, shows up in the border and say, I want to cross. First, they don't know how to get to the border unless you, you come. And that was part of the deal with the caravans. There was, there was minors coming by themselves. So what, what mother and what father, unless they're desperate, would like to, it's just like the picture in, in Afghanistan, you know? You see the picture that went through around the world, that the man giving the baby to the soldier in the wall at the airport in, in Kabul. I mean, take my son. I mean, I, I'm going to die, but I just, you know, trying to get a better life for, and that is a desperate, can you imagine doing that yourself? I, I cannot imagine doing it myself. But that is the level of desperation where I said, just take my son, I will pay you $6,000. I get in debt. Remember, this, this uh, $6,000 is a, basically a debt for life. Because mm-hmm. when are you going to be able to pay $6,000 at, you know, at $30 a day? You know, it's, it's impossible. It becomes, it becomes a, a real uh, life uh, situation. But they do. They 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 send their people. They send their kids. They some families come themselves. Like that family I met at the shelter. I mean, they they came from south of of Mexico, and they're there and they're trying to cross and they're afraid because they you know if they have they there is a couple a Mexican couple with four girls. They're all minors. They're they're children. And they, they told them that if they actually go and surrender themselves, they're going to take the four girls away from them, you know. And so they are now at one point to try, they were there sitting with no hope, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, so, and that is the typical situation. But if you're trying to, you cannot, um, there is fear and there is control, really. You cannot walk away from, the the agreement that you did with the people who are trying to cross you or the smugglers uh, because they have they do have control on both sides of the border yeah so it's that situation it is it is one of the things that we learned and i think this was after i think because you had to go and then we still had some uh, another session but one of the, the layers in all of this that's really important to understand about the culture of at least El Paso and Juarez is the fact that that the that area and we, we actually went to an area where and we stood on the very spot that is like the narrowest passage of of the Rio Grande. So for like thousands of years or however long you can imagine, I mean, you know, a thousand years, let's just say a thousand years, people have been crossing north to south in El Paso. Like this was the favored way to go from Central America to North America long before the United States or any, you know, Christopher Columbus or anybody had ever come through. Um, any any tribes or people coming through, like that was the place that was known as the easiest passage. And of course, like as the Spanish came over and that sort of thing, it became even more well-known and traveled. 
that El Paso, which is literally called the Pass, was where the where they went crossing north to south. But the other thing that people don't realize is that it also was a major thoroughfare going east to west. And that's because, you know, if you know, obviously, geographically, the Rocky Mountains are kind of difficult to travel on foot in most places. Mm-hmm. But there in El Paso, I mean, right where you are, there's some mountains. But, you know, one of the big features is there is no snow. <laughs> there's no snow and there are not 7,000 foot mountain peaks. So it is the ideal situation to not only cross north to south or south to north, but also to cross east to west. And so what you have in El Paso is like this massive intersection of cultures and tribes and people for centuries that have Mm. come through there. And they each have kind of left their, their mark. And even the architecture of El Paso and the city reflects that to some degree. Now, what's significant about that is that you have families that live on both sides, you know, in Juarez and El Paso, whose whose family heritage, who they can trace their family heritage back for generations and generations and generations. In other words, long before these borders were drawn, these people have lived there. And there is this sense, you know, it's kind of like the old lady in the church that, you know, you show up to be a pastor and she's like, you know, I've been here a lot longer than you. I'll mm. be, I'll, I've been here before you and I'll be here after you're gone. And <laughs> there is that sense of like, you can draw whatever lines you want, but but my my attachment to or connection with or understanding of the geography in which I live transcends whatever lines that you might draw, which, by the way, is one of the reasons why, you know, you mentioned Afghanistan. I've, most people, most of the tribes in Afghanistan, they don't care where they drew. I was like, we've been here for thousands of years. Your mm-hmm. lines don't matter to us. And that's one of the – and so the, the West and other – you know, developed countries go, well, we drew a line here. And they're like, we don't care. That's your line, you know? And that's, that's a huge, in Africa, you see that and that sort of thing too. It's like, it doesn't make sense. So as part of it is even understanding culturally, like that area is right. It transcends the present day border. So even the thinking of a lot of people is like, well, yeah, I mean, so what, you know what I mean? It is, it is history. I mean, it, it is something that, uh, and that is when the, you know, it's impossible not to talk about the political, historical divisions of countries. I mean, that is a constant fight. Uh, you know, remember the Alamo kind of thing, you know, uh, especially in Texas. <laughs> and that's a, that's, there's a lot of history there that we cannot change. Right. And that is, uh, uh, I mean, I, 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 just, I just went with the idea that I need to see the human face. Mm. And uh, so uh, there is there is a few there's a few things that we can do. Uh, Tim, do you want to talk about that right now or absolutely uh, how how we because the question is, and I know some of them already asked me, so Alex, what is what is next? What are we doing? What are, what, what can we do? Um, and there's there's a, f- a few. I mean there I would say there uh, there is four things that we practical things that we can do. The first one is, you can actually, you know, if you are listening and and you are part of uh, EV Free Church, we do have an Immigrant Hope Center in Santa Barbara, and we are uh, we have actually a few Immigrant Hope Centers in America that you know Immigrant Hope have been sponsored and created by the EFCA, 
is is our our baby. We created that uh, because it is it was a reaction uh, to see what can we do. You know, well, we can pray and we can preach about it and we can bring uh, videos and, and and bring awareness. But I think if you want to do something, uh, support Immigrant Hope. Uh, and Immigrant Hope is a, is a center that we, it's a ministry that we created uh, as, as the Evangelical Free Church of America to, to help people, immigrants, uh, to find a path for legality. And we, you know, and we, we, we show that, you know, it's a mercy ministry. We love, we love them. We love the, the, the foreign. Uh, even if the person doesn't have any uh, opportunity, um, but it's already here and documented, we will love them and we will actually, the main purpose of the Immigrant Hope, uh, outside of bringing legality, is that we can bring uh, uh, the, the good news of Jesus Christ for a, for a heavenly citizenship. Mm-hmm. You know how many people actually have believed, have become believers through the ministries of, of Immigrant Hope? It's amazing the numbers of testimonies of people who ha- who came with no hope, and even though they they're trying to figure out their legality, they actually now are believers and trying to do the right thing for with God. So that is uh, there is a, a, an amazing ministry that we can support financially and we can pray for for our centers. And uh, I don't know if you want to say something about that, Tim. Uh, immigrant hope. Well, and it's important to understand Immigrant Hope, what it is, is it is a, a ministry that was started to offer pro bono legal services to people who whose immigration status is not legal. And um, that could be all kinds of situations. It's not just the person that, you know, just came across the border and, and you know, had has no business being here sort of a thing. It's, it's people that were born here. And, uh, or maybe they were take, I'm sorry, they were taken here. Uh, they weren't born here, but they were taken here as very young, um, child. Yeah. So they were like three years old and they don't have, so they don't have a, a path. And, it, and what's important to understand about it too, is first of all, it's all in the up and up. So this isn't some kind of underground deal. This is, um, approved by the department of justice. It's, it's all out in the open. Okay. So there's no shenanigans going on here. It is. In fact, the government is happy that we are doing this. They want yes. us. They want us to do this. You have to understand that, because what happens is the, re, the what, one of the big barriers for people. And this again, this is one of those things that you we just I didn't understand these things. And and when you just look at when you just read one side of the news or the other, you don't understand the truth of what's going on. A lot of people want to get their immigration status settled, but if you're coming here and you're very poor, and let's say you are working off, you know, one of these things because you ran away, you know, from some terrible cartel or whatever, and you're in this impossible situation, even to visit, this is the last I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but the last that, that when we were had this presentation, the first visit to a typical immigration attorney is fifteen hundred dollars just to get it started, right? Mm-hmm. Just just to get an application. $1,500. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily have that laying around. You know, I mean, I, I might have it, but I need it for bills and stuff like that. Then to take the next step, it's like $8,000. So it's it's like a tiered system where once you get into it, it's like, well, now I got to come up with this and I got to come up with this. What, what, um, what Immigrant Hope does is it gives you these same services for free. Now, what's important about that is 
we learned a little bit while we were there. We learned a little bit about immigration law, and it's really not that complicated. It's interesting. It's not like it's this. You don't need to get a law degree. There's a lot that you can learn about it, but it's it's something that a person. So, I, in fact, Alex, I would say, you know, yes, financially support Immigrant Hope. We have an Immigrant Hope Center in Santa Barbara. We have an Immigrant Hope Center in Phoenix that's doing really really well. Mm-hmm. The church that I planted way, way back in the day, uh, 2002, um, it w- I was so pleased to know that years later, there was a guy who start- showed up after long after I left, attended that church, who had been a missionary for many, many years, and got a heart for Immigrant Hope, and has started an Immigrant Hope Center, actually with a few other non-EFCA churches out yes. in, in Phoenix, and it's fantastic. But here, I, I, I came away going, we need more of these immigrant hope centers. I mean, imagine, and it's not that hard to set one up. All you, in fact, I would think for the amount of people like baby boomers, and I know even some of some of you retired pastors are going like, well, what do I? I, I and I say this with all like graciousness and and as gently as I possibly can. You're looking for some place to make a difference and contribute. You're you're a, you're an intelligent person with a heart for God, and you know theology, and you know people. You could actually, you could volunteer to set one of these centers up in, in a church. Yes. It's, it's not hard to do. And you could be a, you could be a resident missionary and have a, and do incredibly powerful, unique and needed work in the name of Jesus, right in your own community. And if you are in, in LA, you're listening to us and you are in the in Los Angeles area, we have been trying, Tim, for the last three years, we have been trying to find a church because we want to be, we need to be in a church. We want the church to be in front of this. We have been trying for the last three years, trying to find a church in, in Southern California that is actually willing to do this with us. And so far, nobody has jumped into and say, you know, it's not like the church and the pastor is going to have to drop preaching on Sunday to do this. No, we will come in and we will do the work. We just need a, a space. Um, we, you know, the the Santa Barbara is in Shoreline Community Church. It is in a church property. And that church needs to be just open to, uh, to serve the community, serve the people that are around them. And so... And I imagine that we can actually do in every major metropolitan area, we can have several of those centers because they bring hope to people. And that's why it's called immigrant hope. It's not just the hope of coming to America, it's the hope of getting uh, salvation, you know, because we do present the gospel to everyone. We we, we actually have at, at the Santa Barbara Center, we have uh, uh, civics classes, we have driver license, you know, getting your driver's license when they were, you know, giving, giving it to the people here in California. Uh, we have a Bible study. We have prayer sessions. And people are open to all of that. I mean, because we are a, a Christian-based organization. We're not, um, but, we, but yes, you're right. We are approved by the departments of justice. So uh, it's all legal and it's all recognized. Even even we have a representative that can go in front of the court, go to the judge and, and bring the cases. So we, we do have, and, and we do have lawyers who does the work pro bono to help us, uh, immigration lawyers that, that are, they have a, a heart for the immigrant with low, low resources. 
Yeah. So it's not a, and I'm, by the way, I'm not like anti-lawyer either. I mean, my father was 40 years as a, an attorney and I, I mean, I saw the other side of that. They get criticized for everything until you, <laughs> until you need one. Um, and it's, so it's not to just like, you know, but, but the reality is, is that there's just situations that people can't, they, they just, they get stuck, you know, the, the finances become an issue, but then now you're in an op- opportunity to say, you know, well, because well, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because my faith compels me to, which is a whole other uh, topic that that I want to get into in just a moment. But really, Alex, all you need is an office and a filing cabinet, a lockable filing cabinet to store some confidential documents. This is not, this is not difficult. And like you said, it's not like it's going to take over the church. What really happens, it spreads by word of mouth. You know, um, I, I, there's somebody in our, my, my wife and I um, know a guy who, just recently, and I and I unfortunately found out too late that he was having some immigration. Um, you know, he needed to take care of some stuff, and I'm like, man, if I had known that, I could have directed you to this to this center. Yeah, I wish totally. we had. Even if Phoenix is a large city, unfortunately, this center's on the other side of town. It'd be great to have one on in the west side. So, I mean, I mean, really, any there is not a one. There's not one single city. Because by the way, we're 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 thinking of Hispanic um, immigration, but when you look in the Bay Area. There's, uh, you know, uh, a lot of it's, um, you know, Asian, Southeast Asian immigration. Yeah. And, and I, I've, I've interacted with some of the um, individuals up there. I'm like, wow, they could really use a center like this that just gets you. And, and by the way, one of the most impressive things about this was when they said, look, if we can't help you, if we can't do anything for you, we're just going to tell you, we, we can't help you. You, you, you yes, need to, you need to go back. Money. Yeah. You, you, you're going to get caught. You're going to get busted. You need to, you need to do what you need to do to go back where you, where you were from, because there, there is no, there's no legal route for you here. Now, obviously, you know, they can do what they want at that point, but at least they've been in an environment that they've experienced. Um, they've experienced mercy. They've experienced grace. They've experienced um, people that are really committed. Mentioned the salvation message. Yes, and and, 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 and in the amount of times, exactly the amount of times the gospel has been shared with these people. Yeah, is huge. Well, uh, you know, it it is basically like we do in my own church, and we present the gospel. We present the opportunity for this for them to do the right thing in front of God. It's now up to them and the Holy Spirit. But uh, but we 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 do we. Uh, different than than many, you know, legal services that they will tell you, yes, we can do something. Give us five thousand dollars, and and the truth is that they cannot do anything for them. And is can you imagine somebody who already paid six thousand dollars to the cartel to cross the border, and now he found back in finally get to paradise, you know, to the promised land of United States, and now he get, you know, robbed by by a legal <laughs> uh, person keep taking their money and, and and don't doing anything for them. But that is that is something with immigrant hope and that's a reality that we had to uh, try working here with our churches. But you know, the other one I will recommend is, uh, the, you know, if you are an individual, a leader of a church or a pastor or, a, or somebody from church that want to know more about this and actually say, I will, I will have to see it with my own eyes you know, to, to come and we, we actually plan, uh, Tim, you don't know this, but we were already thinking about another trip in, in March of 2022, uh, back to El Paso, uh, with Abara Ministries. Um, and so if you, you know, just keep in tune, if you, if you know, I mean, you, you can email me, we can keep you on a list. 
Uh, but I think March will be one, one that we can go. It's nice weather and it's so uh, it will be a you know uh, the end of the year is coming real quick. So we're not doing anything else the rest of the year. But if you are one of those people who want to see it by your by, by your own hands and feel it and and, and experience, uh, keep tuned uh, with our I guess our, our zip line. You know, eventually we're gonna bring up another one, another opportunity for a group to go. Uh, to El Paso and experience, uh, and that uh, that that would be as a, as an individual. I, I do I do believe, uh, team, that uh, every you know if you if you are a church that have uh, Hispanic ministries or any kind of immigrant show immigration immigrant ministries, you know like uh, you know African Africans or, or or Hispanics or Chinese or Korean. Uh, that be aware as a church that every every immigrant that you have in your church has a has a, a an extension a root a family back in their native country. You cannot, I mean, like like I uh, in uh, as, again I, I I'm sorry I mentioned so much about my church, but I I work I work with church, my church have eleven different countries, Hispanics Latinos uh, attending my congregation. You know how many people actually, you know how many people uh, were trying to count this year since since COVID started back in 2020. We, we have at least 25 to 30 people who had died relative of the people that come to my church mm. uh, because of COVID. Because the lack of medication, the lack of services, you name it. But you know, uh, so each one of those Hispanics that attends your church, if you have a Hispanic ministry, just in my case, in the case I know, you know that, that that person will have family back in 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 their native land, and that is something that is affecting all of them. Is 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 people continues to die because of COVID, because it's not happening here, but it's happening back in their lands, and they're suffering because of that. Uh, and let me make it more personal. If you if you have a if you hire a, a landscaping services in your own house, and you see that Hispanic mowing your lawn every morning or whatever once a week, you know and please pray for him because he has family that is suffering mm-hmm. through all of this. Mm-hmm. So we do have you know if, if there's some serious roots, and you know we have. Well, 30 something congregations are Spanish speaking, and there's more coming up. And uh, and I know that some, some churches from our own district, you know, they, they don't know about this. So, Alex, we have Hispanics here, and, and they're fun. They're all happy. They're, and well, yes, yes, they're happy because they're here, but they, they do have family. It's like my, my, own, my own experience, you know, my, my, my whole family is in Venezuela. You know how many Venezuelans are trying to cross the border? They have been coming from Venezuela. You know how far Venezuela is? Through Central America. And they are at the border right now trying to cross. Venezuelans. Why? They're not going back to Venezuela. Venezuela is, you know, Caracas is one of the most uh, violent cities in the whole world. You know, there is more people dying in Caracas that, that die in the war in Iraq. Uh, and so it's, it is something that you can see it everywhere 
in, in Central and South America. So it, it is a reality. It's already here. It's not like a wave coming. It's already here. If you have a Hispanics in your congregation and you have a Hispanic ministry in your congregation, you, you, you hire people to do work in your house. They're all Hispanics. Pray for them because they do have a, a, a roots back into their countries. I'm so glad you said that. And this is where I really, in our remaining time, I want to take a few minutes and talk about the opportunity and the, and the theological, uh, pastoral, evangelistic reality that we have here. Because as we said before, and, and this isn't the case, you know, obviously with everyone, but it's, it's a very wrong thing to assume that everyone that co- crosses the border is here to do harm or here to do, you know, up to no good or whatever else. Re- remember the, one of the points that was made, and you have to hear this, is that the, the really bad guys, it, they're not trying to cross the border. They're happy where they are. They're doing fine. They're, they're the ones taking people's land and moving people into slavery and ex- exploiting people. They don't, they don't have any business coming here. That's not going to help them. They're, they, why would they want to leave what they're, what's working so well for them? By and large, it's the victims of those people who are running for their lives. Okay. Now, Alex and I both, and you have to hear this from the beginning, we said this, we believe in law. We believe in walls. We believe in borders. We believe in definitions of nations, and you have to have those things. We understand. I mean, there's. I mean, believe me. There's not, neither one of us are naive, and we both, we both lean to you know politically. You know, like I said before, we probably lean a little more to the right for a lot of reasons on things. But you have to get past those issues, and you have to stop letting the news, whether it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or whoever, or even some of the other ones, dictate how you understand this issue. Stop looking at all the political lines and start looking at the individual situations. When we talk about immigrant hope, for example, there are laws that grant people asylum that are already in place, that have been thought through and argued and figured out. Another thing, by the way, I should, and I I need to go off on this rabbit trail for a second, because recently what happened was there was the, the um, what was it, the state, the remain in Mexico uh, order mm-hmm. that just came down and, and it's yes. gone back and forth between Trump and Biden. One of the things you have to understand is regardless of how you feel about that and what the remain in Mexico thing was basically was there was a time when if you were denied asylum or while your asylum case was pending, you could stay in the United States, right? And they would just kind of like release you to go in. And then that was stopped. Um, and there was, no, you have to stay on the side of the border. Now, that I, my, I'm not here to offer commentary on that other than just to say that all that flip-flopping back and forth, you know, you see it as a headline in the news. It causes major logistical nightmares for the people on the border because then they have to like, okay, well, you, you can't be here anymore. You have to leave. Oh, okay. Now you can come across now. So when, when the, when somebody, you know, makes an arbitrary decision or says no, and there, or there's a new candidate comes into office or whatever else, and things are flip-flopped, it causes all of this logistical uh, nightmarish kind of stuff that, that has second and third order effects that, uh, that just causes chaos in families and communities and everything else. So just to understand that these things do have these orders and these laws and everything else, they do affect individual ordinary people. And just an awareness of that, I think, I think makes sense. But I want to talk about something else that's really important. And Alex, I want you to chime in on this at some point too. Here's what bothered me, and I'm just going to be super straight up with y'all, okay? We are the Evangelical Free Church of America, and I was proud of the fact that, that, that we were the largest group that this ministry had ever taken on a tour. Mm-hmm. 
That's important to know. Okay. Yes. And we believe we are biblically based. We, we have our, we have our statement of faith and we believe this now, candidly, um, as we were interacting with some people there, we quickly came to understand that theologically there may have been not necessarily total agreement on certain things, or at least that mm-hmm. there was a little more. Um, so if you were to go on one of these border tours, you would hear people uh, speaking from a perspective that you might might be a little bothersome to you theologically. You might go, hey, this seems a little bit like liberal to me. And and I kind of kind of wrestle through that a little bit. And, and Alex, you kind of helped me with this as we t- were talking it through. And here's, the, here's the thing that I came away with. And I just, for what it's worth, I want to throw it out there. And it's a gift to those of you who have listened this far into the podcast to, to wrestle with this question that why is it, this is the question that I had. Why is it that on the border, uh, these ministries are at least the ones we interacted with are led by people who, who, who are a little bit outside our tent theologically. And I started asking myself, you know, the people that I know that are, that are really hardcore on the conservative end of things, you know, politically, theologically, and who are really ready to give you those, those answers and, you know, always ready to call out false teachers and always ready to call out incorrect doctrine and blah, 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 blah. I go down to El Paso and I go, where are these people? Where are they? How come, where, where are the ministries that are, that are, um, doing this in the name of Jesus as we understand him? Because there are problems on the other side too. I think, I think we even talked about, you know, you can, you can easily, you know, when you do this kind of work, I think you can easily get lured into a works-based kind of thing. Like, look at all the things I'm doing, God, you know, kind of a thing, as opposed to like, wait a second, it's our faith. It is the fact that, you know, the Bible says we live as aliens and strangers in the world, the concept of the sojourner, right, is there. And so the reason, one of the reasons that we are to pay close attention to the alien and the stranger is because we are, like, it's God going, hey, see that person that doesn't have a home? See that person that's out of place? See that person that doesn't fit in? That's you on this planet, or at least it should be, because you're not supposed to be totally uh, comfortable living in this world because you've been called out of this world. And so for you to turn your nose up at them or to, you know, ignore them or to not take pity or to not take some kind of, you know, not have your heart hurt over their situation is for you to be blind to your own reality spiritually as you live in this country or as you live in this world, right? Rather. But I think the other thing that's important is it is really, it is our faith in Jesus and our confidence in the fact that he is both God and man. It is the fact that is the fact that we have been saved by his blood that should compel us to be the first ones to go. And I guess I was a little bit, um, rebuffed if I could say, <laughs> if, if that, if that makes sense. And maybe you can help me, you know, sort some of that stuff out, Alex. But, but I was a little bit like, you know what? Um, we love to throw rocks at people who believe differently than we do and call them compromisers and liberals and these kinds of things. And yet so often those are the ones taking in the people that need help. Yeah. Taking the initiative. And, uh, and and you're right, Tim. We I had the same feeling, but you know, understand that. Uh, well, the first thing that I, I wanted to remind you or re- remember, uh, because some of them said there's a there's several there are many churches in El Paso who uh, who uh, they're not connected to anything that is happening in the border, and they're more more code to code again. I'm kind of careful about how you say this. More conservative, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Orthodoxia is our thing. 
we were happy to. And I'm, I'm careful about this because I am an orthodoxia. You know, I like mm -hmm. studying the Bible. I'm a preacher. I preach the Bible. And, uh, and I, it, it's, it's nice to stay there, you know. It's good to stay there and, and, and look at the border from the mountain, from, from far away, and say, well, those, are, those people are sinners and they, they need to stay there. And, and, but I'm happy just preaching my message, you know, nice message on a Sunday morning. Uh, with you know ex exegetics and, and all the the, the the stuff that we do for for a good preaching, a good doctrine of stuff, and, and and that is the EFCA. But it looks like, and I I agree with you. It looks like uh, the people that we interact first. Well, first uh, Abara is not a, a, an EFCA. Okay, right, right. Abara is an interdenominational uh, ministry that is actually, and 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 they. I'm not saying that they're not, you know, they they do they do uh, they do have orthodoxia, maybe mm -hmm. a, a little bit different, um, a little bit of a interpretation that are different in terms of social justice, and he, and that is a loaded word, social justice, because when you hear that in different areas, social justice will be gonna oh oh here we go again with the liberals, you know, we're just gonna go and and do social justice and not bring the Bible. Uh, so I, I do I do believe that this is not the, the situation here, but we we did we did get challenged I would say uh, in some of the thinking, but you know what it is is a uh, uh, one thing that surprised me Tim was the you know these are all millennials leading this mm -hmm. and younger yeah and younger that 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 they are looking for a genuine answer to the situation with the foreign because they. I don't think they are worried about the cartel or the political or if it's the Republicans or Democrats or anything. They just, they're there to serve the people, the humans that are in between, a, how you say here in America, in between a, a rock and a hard place, you know, that they, they don't know what to do. And those are the people who really need our help. And what about they receiving Jesus Christ as a savior? I mean, that is a, an opportunity for, and I believe that is what they want to do. So, so they're not compromising the scriptures, but you know they're not there to preach at them. They're there to show the love of Jesus by their actions. Yeah, and, and you you helped me with that important. too. Yeah, you helped me with that because because and you you know your point about even you know here you know the are the younger crowd, um, and if you're a young person, you can identify with this listening to this. If you're you know twenty or twenty two or whatever much more says, Hey, show me what you're doing. I don't care what you believe. I want to see what you're doing. Yeah. And you know what there, I, I think there's something to be said for that. So, so if you, and I'm saying this to some of the crowd that might be listening to this, like, you know, there, we have people in EFCA that I think are kind of always waiting. Like, like, you know, there's a few people that are like, all right, I'm waiting to hear if they're going to say something, you know, off base or whatever. And I don't mean that, you know, it's just sometimes people are wired a little more skeptically and that sort of thing. Please understand, like you were talking to a dude and both of us that are, <laughs> We are uh, like so orthodox in our beliefs that like nothing's going to change that. And I think what was important and I think why this is important to bring up is because from just pure data observation, observation, not interpretation, just observing the situation. It was interesting to me that the people that invited us to come and are, are, have, have their tentacles all throughout and know the actual players, have the relationship with the border patrol, have the relationship with the asylum or the, with the, uh, shelters for the asylum seekers, have the relationship even with some of the Mexican authorities and that sort of thing. The people that are giving their lives to this, we found we're like, we're like, wow, okay. 
um, you, you, we, we would disagree on certain things. We would disagree on probably politics. We would disagree on, you know, uh, feelings about the United States in some ways. And, and, and that was, and so it's like, okay, well, what do you do with that? The question isn't to try to correct or whatever else. It's like, I have to, I had to go home and go, huh, the people that, you know, and again, I'm not trying to make a black and white statement. It was just interesting. And it's something to reckon with. And I think what it is, is one of these things where we have to be honest and say, um, we, and this is going to be my appeal. El Paso is in the EFCA West district. And it's been bothering me ever since I got this job that I had not yet had a chance to go there. And then I look at this massive wide open field, right, Alex? So it's like, you know, we were, I was making fun of you. I'm like, you need, you know, you need to move there. You know, it's like trying to get you out of Southern California, but like there is a huge (laughs) wide open opportunity to be a part of it. And so, uh, I, I invite you to come next time and to wrestle with what you see, to wrestle with the reality of what we saw and go, okay, listen, God is still on his throne. There is a message of the gospel. There's life transformation that needs to happen, but it can't be on your terms right? It has to be on the, it has to be where it is. Yeah. And I will say that mostly of the organizations that are working in humanitarian work like this, uh, I mean, they, they, they do believe, they believe in Jesus and they're believers, but they probably, you know, if we're going to go and be picking about, Hmm, I don't, I don't know if I, I believe what everything that they say, well, and that's, and, and that is okay. It's okay. I'm okay with that. As, as, a, as a pastor and as a, I mean, a, a, a person who worked with the EFCA, I am okay getting along, walking along with people who doesn't exactly believe everything that I believe. As uh, I know, if the person is doesn't believe that Jesus is the savior, okay, I do have an issue with that. Okay, I know because I'm very, I'm very yeah, uh, orthodox about that. But, you know, in terms of social, in terms of as long as we don't talk the politics, but we just serve the people and bring the gospel, evangelize, which is that is the, the main reason why we are there, uh, bringing the Great Commission. I, I can walk with them and I can work with them. Mm-hmm. I have no issue with that. I love that. Let me give you one final anecdote here. And then, Alex, if you have any closing thoughts on this. But there was one powerful moment that was in the last day that we were there where we were, we went to one section of the wall that was actually in New Mexico. So we were like, we were like right on the corner of, of Mm. Texas, New Mexico and Mexico. And our guides kind of walked us right up to the, to the wall. And it's one of those, you know, it's a slatted steel fence that goes like six feet down into the wall or to the ground and then goes up, you know, 30 feet. And we were just talking, you know, it was kind of hot outside and we were talking while we were there. All of a sudden, from the other side of the wall, a group of about a dozen women and children just kind of came over to the wall, and their houses were about 30 feet away from the wall. And they came over, and they came right up to the, to, to the fence, and they were sticking their hands through and you know sticking their faces through, and about a quarter mile up the road, no, no further, was there was a Border Patrol um, you know, SUV that was just just watching everything that was going on there and, you know, always there. Right. And, and, but they came up to the fence. And so we started talking to them. And of course we don't, a few of us knew Spanish. I, I sadly do not, but all they wanted to do was talk. They just wanted to talk. And, and we were, we did introductions and saying our names and, you know, kind of talking. And, and there was this little um, chihuahua dog that was 
um, running back and forth between between really? the United States and Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of interesting, just kind of going back and forth over between the wall. And it, and what's important about this is that in about five minutes into this little encounter that we had, it started hitting us. Uh, several of us on our side. And if you see the picture, we took a few pictures because again, the the, the Mexican um, women and children came right up to the wall, putting their hands through, kind of leaning into it. And we were about 15 feet or 10 feet back. Um, we didn't have any reason to stick our f- hands through the wall. We just, you know, we were kind of hanging back and they were right up against it. And it was like this visual picture and it really started kind of emotionally hitting some of us to where we were like, Okay, no matter what you no matter how you feel about the wall and borders, we already talked about that. It was like this physical manifestation of here we are like literally like 6 feet away or 5 feet away from these other human beings. And yet these steel beams that go into the ground and go 30 feet up we're forever separated. I mean forever separate. Like like we're in two different worlds. We I mean literally close enough to touch each other, close enough to talk, close enough to talk and not even a loud voice and the little dog going back and forth. The dog can go back and forth, but, but there's human beings that are human (laughs) beings separated by, by these metal, by this metal structure. And it spoke to us. Um, and, and we were like talking like, wow, do you see what's going on here? Do you, do you feel this? Like, do you feel this? Like, this is a picture of division. This is a picture of human beings that want to reach out, but are forever separated. And there's, there are spiritual implications of that. You know, we look forward to someday in the millennium when, um, I, I don't, I believe that the borders will be knocked down because there won't be any need for a big giant wall because mm-hmm. Christ will be reigning on the earth. Why would you need that? There won't be the things that divide us. And it was just almost like this sense of like that already not yet kind of aspect of the kingdom where, where we're trying to do good in the world. And yet it's so clear that we live on the kingdom of earth and it has yet to be redeemed. And there's this stark metal barrier reality that separates people. One guy in particular who was on the trip, he, he got emotional and he kind of walked away and we caught up with him afterwards. He said, you know what? He said, this was really hard for me because this is how I grew up. He said, we would, we, I have all this extended family and we would meet, at the, at the wall and we would talk through the slats and that's as close as we could ever get because we weren't going over there and they weren't coming over here. And I remember being a kid and having conversations and with my relatives through the wall and it, it, it was powerful. It was, uh, it, and that's why I think as Alex was saying, you need to experience this. It's a small investment of time. It's in, it's a very easy flight or a drive, depending on where you live. It's probably for most people flying. It's not a hard flight. It's very local. You'd love the city and you'd come back understanding what to think about this, or at least becoming more of an expert than anybody in your church who is watching cable news. And you could speak into the spiritual realities, the practical realities, the legal realities. And you, I think you become a better leader because this issue is not going away. Right now, Afghanistan is the, is the um, name of the game. In fact, while we were there, um, they were literally flying the first Afghan refugees into Fort Bliss from this whole crisis because they were flying them into El Paso. So that's, I mean, there's that, right? And that's a whole other separate issue. But if you want to be somebody who understands one of the biggest biggest cultural issues of our time 
you've got to be a part of this. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to leave you with is that appeal, is that, is that challenge and who we're becoming as a district. I, I'm so excited about this because it's, it's so much transcends the, the lines that the world draws and you have an opportunity to get beyond that, to get past that and actually to do something that is, is so much rooted in our history of, of, of when, and again, Ephesians two, where Christ breaks down the dividing wall of hostility Man, that's powerful. Yeah, my last words is that you don't you don't have to wait until next March or next time that we can go to El Paso. El Paso is a unique situation. It's a showcase. Actually, El Paso is uh, the you know one of the gate cities in America uh, that that is worth watching. And uh, yes, and team, I'm not going to uh, as, as, as unless Jesus comes and mentions that to me. I'm probably not going to move to El Paso, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, and, uh, I might. But but I but I, you you have Hispanics. You live in 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 the western southwestern United States. You have Hispanics everywhere, and I would say that just begin to pray for them. Begin to pray. For, you have probably had neighbors that are Hispanics that have some roots of suffering. And that is uh, something that we need to. You even even more if you have a Hispanic ministers in your church, or Hispanics attending your church, uh, just get close to them, pray pray for them, uh, tell them that you are praying for your for their families. And uh, and if you need more, I mean, I I am always available. If you need more information or a, like a cultural workshop intelligence workshop or something about how I can deal better with the immigrants. Um, I was there. And that's what that's what that's part of my job here, Tim, with the EFCA West, is to bring that information, pastoral view of what is happening in the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And and so please reach out to Alex. That's why we're here. You guys, I'm telling you, we, we have um, men and women listen to this podcast. We have this massive opportunity. And it's more than any of us can do on our own. But I, I tell you, I am so excited. I, I love, I love this job. I love what we, I love what I get to do. I love that Alex get to do, gets to do what he does. And you get to do what you do. And together, I mean, there are so many amazing things happening in this district. And we could go on for three hours about all the great ministry that's happening. This is a piece that needs to get lodged into every single church in our district in one way or another. There is something that you can do. And um, I, I think the future is bright. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, you know, like I always keep saying controversial things, but um, I, I see a lot of hope for the United States of America when, when there are people who are trying to come here and so many of them come here and they're spiritually hungry, they're spiritually open, uh, there's a lot of people who have been here for generations who don't give a rip about anything about the gospel. They are comfortable, they are happy, and they are rather entitled. And they think that God is uh, any belief in God is just backwards and and unnecessary. And meanwhile, you have a whole gigantic group of people who have had some real existential danger in their lives, who ha- who live day to day. Who are who are hanging on with everything they've got to uh, to their for their lives and an extreme openness 
to someone who can reach out and be caring to them and an extreme openness to the gospel. And they may yet be the ones who bring revival to this nation. And I, I actually believe that revival in this nation is going to come from the margins. It's going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the unexpected. It's going to come from those who don't have the privilege and power because that's where it always comes from. Anyway, with that, we will say uh, goodbye. And remember, efcawest.org is a website we just launched. You can go there and check out stuff that we have going on and um, reach Alex, alex.rivero, alex.rivero at efca, that's echo, foxtrot, charlie, alpha.org. And uh, with that, we will uh, catch you next time. So, hey, thanks, Alex. Thanks for being here, and uh, God My bless pleasure. you. Yeah, Thank you. It's awesome. Bye-bye.